Well, good morning, everybody. You doing good? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking. Would you go ahead and do that? <laughs> you know, our church got voted the second best place for singles to meet in Victoria, Texas. A bar beat us, but we're working on that, y'all, all right? And uh, I tell people all the time, man, if you're single, bring somebody. I'll help you out from the pulpit. You'll be turning and saying things nice all the time. But we are so glad to be here. Uh, you know, I met your pastor about 18 years ago, and he was pastoring a bunch of fired up young people in Clovis, New Mexico. And I thought, this guy must be a really good communicator and a really good leader to have this many young people come to hear him every single week. And of course, Pastor Rick is. How many of you are grateful God gave him to you? He's, he's your gift as a pastor, right? But as impressed as I was with that, what really wowed me is that Rick Burke might be the nicest guy I've ever met. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And last night when I came and, and was in my hotel, I didn't realize this is, Will, is the place Will Rogers came from. And so I thought, well, it all makes sense. Now I know why I've never met a person who didn't like Rick Burke. He has the spirit of Will Rogers all over him, right? Hey, something else real quick, and then I'm going to get started, but this is like an anniversary to me. Let me tell you what it is. 44 years ago, I was driving down Will Rogers Turnpike, I-44, and I was headed to Arizona to continue my career as a college baseball player. I had hurt my rotator cuff in my, in my junior college year uh, before that, so I was going to rehab my arm. It was going to be my redshirt sophomore year, and then the University of Arizona had showed interest in me, so I was hoping they'd still be interested. My van broke down between Venita and Claremore, and I'd only been a believer for two years, and I thought, you know what? Brain check, ORU played Arizona State in the College World Series last year. So I went to ORU and I met with Coach Larry Koschel and he allowed me to make the baseball team as a redshirt sophomore. And it was there that God began to empower my life and to prepare me for what I do today. So I love Oklahoma. It is good to be back in Oklahoma celebrating a anniversary of sorts. So, hey, can we pray? Let's get into God's word today. Lord, we love you, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll do what nobody can do like you can, and that is customize the teaching from God's word today. Make it be what each one of us need to hear to live in the longings of our heart, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to start with a confession this morning, and that is I am a person who's really cynical about cliches. And the reason that I'm cynical is I'm a pastor and I care about people's lives and I care about people falling in love with God in their heart. And I've noticed that cliches have this way of shrinking people's thinking and of keeping them from really beginning to dig in and learn the deeper things that are going to cause their life to go well. This morning, I'm going to give you an example. Maybe you've heard this before. If God will get you to it, then God will get you through it. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? There's only one problem with that phrase, and that is, even though it feels good, and we'll talk about how feeling good is important, 
statement, it's just not true because God doesn't get you through everything in life, but it's maturity in the ways of God that get us through things and get us to things in life. So I'm going to read you a scripture this morning that talks to us about that. It's in James 1, and it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know something. And one of the things that's good when we do go through trials is positivity, and it's because positivity will help you get the most out of your life. I've always liked the story of the guy who was the top salesman of his company. And somebody asked him, they said, hey, do you ever wake up crabby in the morning? And he said, no, I never wake up crabby. I let her sleep, and I go out, (laughs) and I get to work. And so positivity is a very good thing. But notice that the Bible is not going to say because we know we should be positive, but it says because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And if you'll let perseverance finish its work, you're going to be mature and complete, and then you're not going to lack a thing. In other words, once we come to the point where God begins to mature us in the area that we're asking God to answer our prayers, God says, if you'll get enough of what I know on the inside of you, then your trial is going to turn into a testimony in your life. There's another scripture that speaks very clearly and with a lot of insight about what I'm talking about this morning, and it's in 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul writes about the Israelites who Moses pastored, who ended up dying in the desert instead of living in the dream God had for their life. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now let's break this down for just a minute. When he says that they were all under the cloud, the cloud represents the favor of God in our life. And do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter four? He said that God wants to have faith favor on every single person in the whole wide world. So if you're here today and you think that sometimes, you know, I don't do good, Pastor Jim, and so because of that, I don't think God wants to be good to me. I want to say to you this morning that God's goodness is not based on you. God's goodness is placed on you because God is good and he wants to be good to every single person. Can you say amen? People struggle with this and I say to them, now listen, I'm a dad. When do you think I'm going to be good to my kids? Well, simply whenever they need me the most. And God's the same way. That's why many times people say to me, Pastor, when I was messing up, God was never more good to me than when I was messing up. And I'll say, well, that's certainly the heart of the God that we serve. But then he said they didn't just, uh, you know, get baptized into the cloud, but they got baptized in the sea. And the sea represents water baptism. That when we go under the water, it's a sign that all the sins that we've committed are washed away. At our church, that's why we hold some people under a long time, right? They really deal with condemnation in their life but when we come up it's a sign that we believe that God can deal with the sin issues that we have in our life and God can bless the future of our life so most so Paul wrote that every person that was in Israel was baptized into the cloud baptized into the sea and then he said they also ate the same spiritual food drank the same spiritual drink nevertheless God wasn't pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness now 
Now let's continue our, our symbolism here. Spiritual food represents the word of God. And God gives us spiritual food, and the reason is, just like uh, physical food, you know, strengthens and builds our physical body, spiritual food ends up strengthening our physical body, right? And spiritual drink, just like water, refreshes us. When we spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he refreshes us, and he lets us know how loved and how strong we can be. And Israel had a great pastor in Moses, and Paul makes the point that just because somebody's feeding you good sermons and just because the Holy Spirit's trying to refresh you, it doesn't mean that you're going to live in your dreams, but they had a problem, and that is negativity and immaturity won out over spiritual maturity in the lives of the Israelites. And that was the reason for the book of Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy in the Hebrew means words, and basically Moses had to start over again because Listen, they got to the border of the promised land, but just because God gets you to it doesn't mean God's going to get you through it. It's maturity that gets us into the desires of our heart. So this morning, we're going to let Malachi's words show us what to do to live in the longings of our heart. But before we do, I want to tell you a story about when Tamara and I first started pastoring years ago. A young couple who were friends came up to us and they said, hey, can we talk to you about an issue in our marriage and we said sure and so that night we laughed together we learned together because that's what friends do you know we, we both talk to each other and help each other kind of equally and then we got to the end of the night and I thought man this was a great night whenever the wife hit me with a zinger and she said to me pastor before we go tonight, she said, I need you to pray for us. And I said, sure, what can I pray for? And she said, you need to pray for him. How many of you know that was a bad sign right there? And she said, I want you to pray, Philippians 2.12, that he will start fearing God and trembling a little bit more because he's not listening very well to your sermons. And maybe if I left him, he would tremble. And I thought, whoa, and my pastoral training kicked in. And I said to them, okay, here's what I want you to do before I pray. I'm going to get a sheet of paper. That was before we had cell phones. And I said, I want you to write down five positive things that caused you to fall in love with each other. And so they did really good, and they each wrote down five positive things. Now, you say, why did you do that? Well, it's because, according to a prominent psychologist, Barbara Fredrickson, people who build good relationships and people who begin to build good careers do it far more often when there's a positive environment that they have the opportunity to mature in. And then, according to another prominent psychologist, John Gottman, he did research and he found out that if you have five positives to one negative in your marriage, your chances of having a very satisfying marriage are really, really high. But if that changes and you have one positive to one negative, the chances you're going to end up divorced become really, really high. And so I was helping them see the positives. And again, they did well. And then I said, okay, now I want you to write the one negative that you hope will change. And for him, he wrote it pretty quickly. And I wasn't surprised. He said, she nags me all the time. 
And then she wrote down, he's just so passive. I wish he would be more aggressive. And we talked for the next 10 minutes about his childhood and how his father always made him feel like such a failure whenever he failed. And because of that, he developed a persona about his life that he would rather, you know, just kind of settle where he is than feel like a failure every time he tried to do something better in life. And we began to talk at that point about the memories they could make together if they enjoyed the positives and helped each other get beyond the negatives that they were dealing with in life. And that's exactly who God wants to be to every single one of us who are here today. The Apostle John put it so well in 1 John chapter 4, 16. He said, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. In other words, if you don't feel incredibly loved by God in your heart this morning, do you know what God would say to you? He'd say, you might be coming to church. You might be trying to improve morality in your life. You might be trying to be a more positive person. But if you don't feel my love on the inside of your heart, chances are you've never learned to experience my love in all of its fullness in your life. And John went on to talk about why this is something none of us should be satisfied with in life when he says there's no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear how many of y'all want to live in an environment where there's no negativity on the inside of your heart because the love of God is up to something and we are so excited about what the love of God is up to right he says there's no fear in love and then he says because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears punishment hasn't been perfected in love that word perfected is matured and he says the one who has negative emotion in their life do you know why there's negative emotion in their life it's because they haven't learned how to be fully loved by God now Malachi hits this straight on in his book and he talks about two things first of all the symptoms of what happens when, when we're not loved well by God in our hearts. And he starts his, his letter this way. It says, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, if you get to chapter two and you can read it later, he's talking about why there's so many broken homes, why there's so much sadness, why people are praying and nothing's changing in Israel. And Malachi says, now this is a prophecy. This isn't just my perspective I'm sharing with you this morning, but this is something that God has spoken to me that'll solve your problems. And it's so important in our churches that pastors sometimes just share with us. And they say, you know, I don't have this figured out, guys, but here's some perspectives that I think are going to help you this morning. But it's also really good when the pastor spends time in prayer and he says, now I want you to listen to me because what I'm going to share with you is not my perspective. What I'm going to share with you is something that God said is going to change everything about your life and this is something Malachi said would change everything about your life and and here's what God said God said you are saying 
uh, God, I, I've loved you, but we're asking you, God, how have you loved us? So Malachi says, when I pray, the Lord is saying that a lot of you are saying, God, you, you say that you love me, but the reality is I don't feel loved by you in my life. And then Malachi shares four symptoms that happen to a person who isn't loved well by God. And the first thing is they live with a false optimism. He said, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we're going to rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build it, but I'll demolish it. And they'll be called a wicked land of people who are always under the wrath of the Lord. So you notice that Edom had positivity. They said, you know what? This might have been bad, but I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to make it good, even though it's bad. And God said, no, you're not. And it's because positivity can't solve what sin issues create in our life. You can get as positive as you want to, but the word wicked means that we're treating one another wrong. And what God's saying is if you're treating each other wrong, it doesn't matter if you try to put a positive environment into this. It's not going to fix the problem. The second thing that God addressed was not just false optimism, but he talked about dishonor for him in our hearts. And he said, said, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor to me? And if I'm a master, where's the respect to me, says the Lord Almighty. And it's important, I think, for us to understand that God isn't saying we're like shaking our fist at him and we're saying, I'm going to dishonor you. For most people, it's not a active, strong dishonor in our hearts. It's just a passive dishonor that comes into our hearts. In other words, we think God God, I'm going through this trial. And if you really cared, God, you would do something about this trial that I'm going through in my life. Or for some people, they don't read their Bible and pray because they feel like, hey, you know what? God doesn't care anyway, so why should I really read my Bible and pray and come to church? And God says, this is what happens in the heart of somebody who doesn't live in the joy of being loved by God. The third thing God says is we disregard his way. He said, but you asked me, how have we shown contempt for your name? And God says, by, by, he said, he said, here's how you do it. You're saying the Lord is contemptible. And, and basically contempt means this. It means to look down on somebody. And so what the Bible's saying is that when we're not loved well in our heart, what do we do? We begin to come up with false optimism. I'm going to rebuild. We're going to make it. But we stay in this cycle where things aren't working out. And we kind of dishonor God. We don't really think God is going to be the key to changing things in our life and then all of a sudden we're disregarding his ways whenever his ways are the very thing that could bring a turnaround in our life and I love in this chapter that three times God says I'm the Lord Almighty and anytime God brings his name into a text we should stop because what God is saying is this is who I want to be to you but this is the reason I can't be this to you in life and so God is saying, I want to do mighty things in your life, but because you're living in a false optimism and you're not honoring my power like I need you to, and you're not listening to my ways, I'm not able to do the great things that I want to do in your life. 
And then there's a fourth thing, and that is God says you have unanswered prayer. He said you plead with me to be gracious to you. But with such offerings from your hands, can I accept you? In other words, God's saying they, they were asking God to save them and to bless them, that the, but the problem was with how they were offering their lives to God. It wasn't whether they were given money. It wasn't whether they were doing religious things. It came down to how they were offering their lives to God. Now, for the rest of the message, we're going to talk about how we can get beyond this and how we can live in the longings that God's placed on the inside of our heart and and we're going to see there's just a shift that needs to occur and it's a shift that we see happening around us all the time I want to tell you one good funny story this morning because I know in Cedar Point you guys like to laugh right but I hope this doesn't offend anybody who has a $120 gym membership that cost you 60 bucks a visit last year okay but this story is about this older guy and sadly he lost his spouse of 45 years years and he said after about a year grieving he said man I got to do something I want the rest of my life to be happy so he thought well I'm not good by myself I'm probably gonna have to get married again but I think I better work out first before I get back out there you know dating people so he went to the gym and he said I'm too old to do free weights I better learn how to use all these machines so he thought I don't know how to do it I'm gonna hire me a trainer and the trainer took this elderly man and, and he showed him how to use every machine. And when he finished, the elderly man looked at the trainer and he said, Sir, can I ask you a question? And will you promise me you won't tell anybody I ask you this question? And the trainer said, Sure, your secret is safe with me. So he looked back at the trainer and he said, Which one of these machines put muscle on a man that caused a chick to be attracted to him. And the trainer responded, it's none of these machines, it's the ATM machine that's in the lobby. That's the one that'll attract women to you, right? Now, there is a point behind this funny story, and that is, do you know how you and I are described in the Bible? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says this, if you're an unbeliever, it says you're blind to the glorious things Christ would do in your life if you develop a relationship with him. And people who don't receive God's love in their heart, they're blind. They're blind about eternity. They're blind about what happens when we take our last breath. They're blind about the abundance of life that Jesus gives the obedient. But as believers, it's also said in Ephesians 1.17 and 18 that we are blind and that we need to pray so that the eyes of our heart end up enlightened and we see the rich and glorious things that God wants to do in every single season of our life. And that's what Malachi helps us to understand. In Malachi 3.6, he, he says, here's your answer. If you want to live a life where you're loved by God and he starts satisfying the deepest desires of your heart, he says, I want you to know that I, the Lord, don't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, you don't have to be destroyed. But ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you haven't kept them. And I want you to return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, God says, listen, the real reason that you're not having me answer more of your prayers is simply because you're not being loved very well by me. 
So can we get rid of the false positive fronts? And can we get rid of the dishonor that makes you think I don't really care? Hey, can we start dealing with the fact that you're disregarding the ways that are going to bring you into the desires of your heart? Because the truth is, if I get you to it, I can't get you through it unless I can be a father to you and I can help you work through the negativity and the immaturity issues in your life that are keeping you from the blessings that I long to bring into your life. And then God says, and you're asking, so how do I return to this love? And God says, here's how. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask him, God, how am I robbing you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. He said, all of you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. In other words, the real reason that homes are breaking up and there's so much suffering in this society because of what sin is doing is because our neighbors need to learn how to be loved by God. And God says that's the reason that we bring our tithes and offerings into the house of the Lord because we don't want to curse on our life and we don't want to curse on our nation. Can you say amen? And God says, when we bring it into his house, he said, you give me opportunity to have food in my house. Now, again, why did Israel die in the desert? Because even though Moses gave them food and even though Moses gave them drink, it didn't get rid of the negativity and the, and the immaturity in their heart. And because of that, God couldn't bless them. So God says, don't just bring your tithe so there's food in the house. But he says, test me in this. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't even have room to, to, to receive it. In other words, God promises, if you are loved well by God, I promise you, I will do things in your life that blow you away. How many of you are glad this morning? Your life doesn't have to be defined by what sin did to you. Can you say amen? My life's going to be defined by what God does for me, right? Now, how do we do that? Well, did you notice Malachi talked about floodgates? Everybody say floodgates. And I want to close by sharing three floodgates. Now, I'm not telling you that I have some special revelation and I know what all the floodgates of heaven are. But what I will tell you today is these three things changed my life when I began to treasure what heaven would do if I let these three things flood into my soul. And the first thing I want to talk about is God's righteousness. Listen to Proverbs eleven eighteen. It says, a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness is going to reap a sure reward. You know what I learned about sin? And I lived in sin for 17 years in my life. I've learned that sin will thrill you and then sin will kill you. Sin will fascinate you for a little while, then sin is going to assassinate you before you're done. But can I tell you what I learned about God's righteousness? I learned the more I learn what God says is right, and the more I honor what God says is right, the more God's going to bless me and the more God's going to reward me in life. Can you say amen? Think with me this morning that the sun is about 94 million miles away from us on earth. And at its core, it's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists tell us if the sun was any closer to us, we would fry. If the sun were any further away from us, it would freeze. Now, if we live on a planet that is that complex, 
Doesn't it make sense that we need to honor what God knows is right if we want to live a life that God rewards, right? And, and, and I learned that the way God loves me is not by just giving me what I want. God gives me better than I would ever ask him for whenever I honor his righteousness. Here's the second thing that, that has changed my life when I started honoring the floodgates of heaven. And that is righteousness then begins to build maturity. And we talked about this already that when we come to maturity, that's when God says we're not going to lack anything. So if I want God to be good to me, in a part of my life, what I need to do is to value the righteousness of God. And then what makes a person mature? A person's mature when they know enough right to do so that they're responsible to do what's going to cause things to be okay. Can you say amen? I have five grandchildren. How many of you know they are beautiful people? I can tell you, I never wonder today if my kids were perfect, but I do wonder at times whether my grandchildren are perfect. But can I tell you something? They're immature. I can't just leave the house and leave things in the place of my grandchildren. So what's, what's my job as a grandpa? Well, my job is to support the parents as the righteousness that I passed on to the parents is now passed on to the grandchildren. And, and through God's righteousness, I can watch the rewards of God live on in a whole new generation. And if you're not being loved by God, can I encourage you this morning? First of all, get rid of the false optimism and be real. Now stay positive because having five positives to one negative is pretty important in life. Can you say amen? Honor God. Honor God's ways. And watch how he starts answering your prayers when you treasure righteousness and treasure maturity. And then there's a final thing, and that is you'll notice God brings opportunity divine opportunity into your life. Sometimes when I come here and I think about my van breaking down on the Will Rogers Turnpike 44 years ago, I think, what are the odds that somebody's going to drive from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Tucson, Arizona and break down at the very spot where God changed everything about his life? The odds are so small, right? And there are people who have said to me, Pastor Jim, I think an angel broke down your van. No, it's the angel that kept that van running for a thousand miles to get me here. Trust me. It was, it was a faith car. I don't know if y'all have driven faith cars. You can have some faith every morning you turn that key, right? But can I tell you, just like Joseph, how did Joseph live? Well, you know, Joseph, he was good to his brothers, but instead of being good back, they sold him into slavery. He worked hard for his boss, but instead of the boss rewarding him, he ended up going to jail. But because he treasured God's work in his heart, what happened one day? He stood before Pharaoh in Genesis 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I put you in charge of all of Egypt. And you look up, and when you really treasure the, the love of God and the work of God in your heart, he brings you righteousness, he brings you maturity, and he brings divine opportunity into your life. I want to close with the story of another pastor I know. He's about 70 years old, and he really grew a great church like this one in his lifetime. But when he was a young pastor, he and his wife started in a really little church. He was faithful for a number of years, and that church grew. And then when they prayed, they sensed they were to move on to another church. So he put out his 
resume and his, app, and his applications and a number of opportunities came back because he'd been successful and he took them <laughs> and he put the bigger churches than his in one stack and that was pretty significant and he put a few of the smaller churches that asked him to apply in another stack and he started praying over the bigger churches because he assumed that, you know, since I've been faithful to God, he's going to bless me with more members and he's going to bless me with more financial money to get things done for the kingdom. Well, as he prayed through that stack, he just couldn't sense God leading him to any of the churches in that stack. So he started praying over the, the stack of smaller churches. And sure enough, one church, he felt like the Holy Spirit started speaking to him about that church. So he called his wife, and she was praying over the applications too, and he called her in. He said, honey, when you pray, he said, is there anything that you sense? And she said, well, I don't know if I should tell you. And he said, no, go ahead and tell me, because you know, he was kind of half hoping that she would talk him out of going to the smaller church. But if you have a godly wife, she confirms the will of the Holy Spirit in your life. Can you say amen? And she told him, for some reason, I sense God's calling you this smaller church. So they took it. They moved into the, the town, started pastoring the smaller church. They bought a small house. The first month they were in the house, they looked, and a rat crawled up in bed with them. How many of you would be saying rats at that point, right? They realized the whole house was rat infested. Now, if that happened to me, my wife would say, Jim, you know where my parents live. When you get this fixed, call me. We'll Zoom until then. When it's not a zoo, I'll come back, all right? I don't know what they did, but I know he fixed the house, got it all fixed. But as he was fixing the house, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him. And he said, you really enjoy doing this, don't you? He said, yeah, I do. He said, that's because I gave you a gift to do this. And he said, I don't want you to get all worn out in ministry and to get so busy you don't use that gift. And you know what he did? Over the next 15 years or so, he remodeled 11 houses. He made so much money, he put all of his kids through college through the houses that he renovated. Come on, somebody. And you know, that little church he took, it became 10,000 people. It became huge. It had an amazing impact in that town. Here's the moral of the story. Life is too short to live not loved by God. How many of you know when we love him, Ephesians 3.20 says, he'll do more than we ask, more than we'd ever imagine, but it happens through the power of God's love. That's at work on the inside of our hearts. Amen? Come on, yeah, let's just give him praise this morning. Can we do that a minute? It's good to praise God. Man, so many people think God's, you know, somebody that we tolerate. But look to your neighbor and say, don't tolerate God. Look at him and say, celebrate God. How many of you know when we celebrate God, he's good to us? Can you say amen? He's good to other people through us too. Well, hey, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And Lord, I just want to pray for these people. And Lord, here's what I pray. I pray that your favor... And Lord, I pray, God, that, that, that their maturity causes this church to be a special church. God, you know in small county America that 85% of the churches 
or, or worse than that, 85% of the places in small county America, Lord, they only have stagnant churches, declining churches. And God, I just pray over the people in this room that, Lord, what you're doing in them, God, will, will continue to change Claremore, Oklahoma. God, let people celebrate God in this region more than they ever have because, Lord, how you're working through this body of people, Lord, that have been assembled for your purposes. God, thank you for all they do in the community. Thank you for what they do. God, for kids who need shoes and, Lord, what they do for, for, for people, Lord, who need volunteers for good causes in town. Lord, I thank you for all of that today. But, Lord, I sense in my heart you're going to make this church a spearhead church. And, Lord, spearhead churches need spearhead people. So, Lord, I just speak your grace and I speak your favor on this church in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for Pastor Rick. Lord, I thank you for the ability he has to love people. And Lord, to spread through this church. And God, let more people be loved. Let more people be helped. Let more dreams come true. Let more stories be changed. Lord, than they ever dreamed could happen, I pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.